The following is a Thunderbolt West Media production. I'm going to be talking about alternative communication and transportation. You are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show with Jim Calhoun. The storm was coming, the sky was on fire, fear was in their eyes. It's my opinion that we should be prepared to lean on our faith and be able to step out on the sea. Thanks for tuning in to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I'm your host, Jim Calhoun. This show features off-grid topics such as creating your own power, gardening, homesteading, and other issues related to off-grid living. I also seek to educate my listeners about survival and prepping, and I'll talk about anything from government corruption to chemtrails. Also, I feel that our constitutional republic is worth saving so I never miss an opportunity to do my part in helping to save our republic. I have two main goals for this show. Number one, to help you build your faith in God. And number two, to help each listener become as self-sufficient as possible. This show originates at the Harmony Barn Studios, located near Hershey, Nebraska, in the United States of America. The Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show airs on global shortwave stations WBCQ, Monticello, Maine, at frequency 7.490, and also on WRMI, Radio Miami International, on frequency 5850. And you can tune in to Key Radio, 89.3 FM, in Osage Beach, Missouri. And this show is also available on demand, on Spreaker, Anchor, Podpoint, Podpage, and Red Circle. My email address is jim at offgridliving.faith and be sure to visit my website, which is offgridliving.faith. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I really appreciate it. Well, I've been doing a lot of studying and answering a lot of emails, and it seems like that everyone's kind of on the same page, which is really good. It seems that my audience is wide awake, and that is great. I think that we all have to be wide awake because the fog of war is definitely settling in all over the entire world. And the fog of war will play havoc with your emotions and your mental state and everything else. And so not only is the United States government running a psychological operation against we the people, you also have the Chinese running a psychological operation against us, as well as the Russians, and who knows who else. And so, on a day-to-day basis, we are bombarded with so much misinformation and so many lies that it's incredible. I watched highlights from that CNN town hall meeting with Donald Trump, and that young lady that was the host of that event, she was absolutely horrible. 
and she was there just to spread more lies and disinformation. Anytime that Donald Trump tried to give his side of the story or give her facts, she would shut him down and say, oh, that's not true. You know that's not true. It's just sickening. And anybody that sells out to this evil, you're sick. And you're going to get what's coming to you. Because you're going to have to stand before Almighty God someday. You may be able to get through things on this world unscathed. But you won't the next. And also, speaking of Donald Trump, that report came out. I believe it's the Durham report. But they found that there was no evidence whatsoever of any collusion with Russia by Donald Trump or anyone in his campaign. Now, what's really sad about that is that the FBI director knew it at the time. So did the CIA. So did the whole government. All these government agencies knew it was fake. They knew it came from Hillary Clinton. But yet they allowed millions upon millions of dollars to be spent to impeach a president while they knew that he was innocent all along, and they went up and testified to his guilt any time they would go before a camera or they had to go before any hearings. And as per normal, all these powers that be, all these uppity-ups are going to skate. Nobody's going to go to jail. But I bet if I don't pay some parking tickets, I bet that I'd end up going to jail or being heavily fined. I would imagine that if you would do something that's a misdemeanor, that you would probably have to pay something. You would go before a judge. And so it's my opinion that the United States government is totally illegitimate and totally evil. And I don't know what government on this world is not evil. I think they're all evil. But I think we need to really get ready for the evil to really rear its head. I've been watching the members of the European Union, especially that lady that heads it up, and also the Germans and the French and, and the head of NATO and all the people in Brussels. These people are imbeciles, and they're evil, and they're all out for their own gain. They care nothing about you. They care nothing about me. I've been also watching the African leaders, and I've noticed something. The African leaders are in very poor countries, and the old saying, you can't get blood out of a turnip, is very true. And while there are dictators and evil leaders in Africa, and there always has been and probably always will be in certain areas, there are some leaders in Africa that are poor, their country's poor, their people are poor, and they're not there to get rich because there's nothing there to get rich off of. I'm not saying they're squeaky clean, but I'm saying that they seem to be there for their people a lot more than the Western governments are for their people. And finally, you have a group of African nations that want to go to Ukraine and also to Moscow, and they want to start negotiating a peace before the nukes start to fly. Now, the African leaders do have some self-interest, because if World War III goes full bore like I think it's going to, guess who is going to starve to death? The people of Africa. And so the African leaders are there to save their own people as well as trying to broker peace. And so I have to say hats off to these leaders in Africa that care enough about their people to do something about it.
And all the leaders in the Western world just want to strut around and crow like a bunch of roosters. And it seems like the Asian countries are really standoffish about it. They don't really care. But the only people that are trying to stop this whole debacle are the African leaders. So again, I salute them because I think it's very brave what they're doing. I think it's very wonderful what they're doing. And I think we need to pray that their efforts bear fruit. This episode, I'm going to talk mostly about two subjects. One is communications and the other is transportation. I'm going to start with communication first. If and when we have the moment where a nuclear explosion happens, for real, I think that we can expect an EMP attack right then, not the day after, but right there at that moment. As a matter of fact, the first nuke that might go off might be the EMP nuke. And if they set one of them off over the Rocky Mountains and another off over the Mississippi River, everything gets fried. Now, I did hear something really interesting that I knew, but I guess I forgot. It's one of those things that you kind of know, and then you tuck it away, and then it gets away from you. Is if you have an old microwave, you can use that old microwave as a Faraday cage, as at least part of it. And you start off by putting your phone inside the microwave. No, don't turn the microwave on. Make sure it's unplugged. And have someone call your phone. If your phone does not ring, it's already shielded. And that's a good thing. But it needs to be shielded a little bit more. So if you would take that microwave oven and put it inside a tin trash can, you'd have to buy a pretty big one. But if you would put a microwave oven inside a trash can, and then put a lid on that and insulate between the microwave and the trash can, you have an instant Faraday cage that will help your components survive an EMP attack. Now, I've done several shows where I've mentioned communication, and a lot of the things I'm going to mention are kind of a repeat, but I have a lot of new listeners. I think that each and every one of us has to understand that the cell phone is going to go away. The Internet is going to go away. Digital things are going to go away. For how long, I don't know. But for long enough that you're going to be more than inconvenienced. Now, for those of us who are old enough to remember our life before cell phones and our life before the Internet and our life before the digital craze, we did just fine. It's not like we just sat in the dark and sucked our thumbs. We were busy, and we were productive, and we communicated just fine. And so I think we need to dispel this myth that when the cell phones go out, everything's going to stop. Now, that might be true for the snowflakes and the people that don't know what to do. They'll certainly be in terror and in turmoil. And at that moment, when people understand that the fire and rescue and police and all that are offline and can't be reached, a certain group of the population is going to riot and ransack, and another group is going to live in fear and prepare for defense of their home. Now, in between all of that, we have to be able to communicate. And again, I go back to this quick little Faraday cage of a, a microwave oven that doesn't leak. That's why you test your phone. And this big metal trash can or a metal box, anything that's totally metal. Now, your cell phone will survive the EMP attack, but will the system, will the networks? I doubt it. 
So in your Faraday cage, I would put a, a very inexpensive but a working CB radio. CB radios are cheap to buy, and they're readily available at truck stops and online. And there's still a lot of people that use CB radios. You might say, well, I don't know anybody to call. Well, let me tell you, if you're sitting in the dark and you have no way to communicate and you turn your CB radio on and you hear people out talking to each other and organizing, you want to know about it and you want to be part of anything good. And also, if you hear people on CB radios organizing mass chaos and looting of stores, you want to know that too. It would also be a good idea to have a police scanner. Now, I don't know the frequencies that everybody is on. That changes all the time. And if you buy an old scanner, it probably won't pick up any of the new frequencies. But if you find out in your area what frequencies your fire and rescue and your police and your state patrol, everything that they use as far as communications, then that would be a good thing to have in your Faraday cage. The whole idea here is not that you're able to talk. The idea is that you're able to listen. And that one little tidbit of information that may save your life or your family's life is worth all the time and effort of getting a system ready. And so I would have a portable AM, FM radio that also has shortwave. I would have a shortwave unit in my house as well. I'd have two shortwaves. And you might say, well, if the radio stations are all out, why would I want a shortwave? Shortwave travels very long distances. And it's very common to hear broadcasts from other countries. And it's my belief that if we get hit and we have an EMP and we lose all of our communications, that there are going to be a lot of people that are in short wave are going to either buy airtime or they're going to try to get an emergency use from other transmitters in other countries and have them beam their signal to the United States. So, in other words, someone might be sitting in Ecuador, broadcasting to the United States, giving all sorts of information. And so, don't discount shortwave. And also, if you have the money, if you can buy a ham radio set to receive, if nothing else. And if you want to go full bore, and if you want to transmit and do everything legally by the book, you have to take some training, and you have to be fully licensed to do that. And that is what I recommend. But if nuclear war is happening, I don't think anybody's going to be worried about a license too much if you put up an antenna and you can listen to ham radio operators. Now, I'm not a ham radio operator, but I thoroughly respect every ham radio operator out there because they're in it for the hobby. They're in it for a good time. They enjoy it. But they also know that they are the last line of defense as far as mass communication. And the ham radio operators that I know really take that serious. And also, a lot of the ham operators are very good with electronics. And they're very good with adjusting and modifying their gear to give it a little more power. And in some instances, that is illegal. But when we're talking Armageddon, well, boosting your signal on your ham radio set to try to save some lives, I don't think anyone's going to really look too hard at that. But if you have the receiver and you have your antennas and you have to set your antennas up right, they have to be done right, then you're going to be able to pick up chatter from all over. 
And if you do buy a ham radio set, make sure it has all the side bands and everything. You can get an entry-level bare-bones unit fairly cheap. But I don't think that this is where you want to bargain shop too much. I think you want to get all the popular frequencies and all the sidebands. And it would be good to set it up now and start listening now. And so you already know how to do it. If you wait for an EMP and you're struggling with getting your power going and you start digging out your emergency radios and everything else and you're trying to figure everything out at once while the world is disintegrating around you, not a good plan. If you don't have the money, maybe you and several of your friends can get together and buy a ham radio set, at least to listen to it, and then decide where it's going to be, and then all of you can get together and listen, which would bring to mind all the families that would come together in communities and listen to all the World War II news on the radio. And anyone that didn't have a radio was welcomed into houses that did have a radio, so everyone could hear firsthand. We have to have that kind of camaraderie. Good people can't compete against good people. Good people are going to have to stand together with other good people. Because this world is full of evil and full of bad people, and those bad people are going to try to harm you and me and everyone else. And so all good people have to stick together. We have to have a very working relationship with all the good people in our lives. Broadcasting from the United States of America, you are listening to the Living Off-Grid Power and Information Show. I invite all of my listeners to go to my social media site, which is on VeteranBrigades.com. It's the only social media site that I trust, and you do not have to be a veteran to join. So go to VeteranBrigades.com, sign up, and look me up over there, and on that platform, I'm the Living Off-Grid Show, and I plan on doing lots of interactive things over there with you, my audience. So please go visit me at VeteranBrigades.com. And I've got to say right here that anyone that would call you a conspiracy theorist or nag you about being wrong or you're always negative or whatever they're going to say, it is now time to cut and run from all these negative people. You can't have people that have been put under a delusion try to influence you. Because I think that there's a lot of people who have been put under a delusion and there's a lot of people that are being led by the spirit of Antichrist. It kind of reminds me of that guy they called Baghdad Bob. Old Bob would get on there and say, well, we pushed the Americans into the sea. There's no Americans coming at all. While over his shoulder, you saw the explosions and you saw the jets flying in and tanks rolling in. And he's saying, no, no, they're, we defeated them. They're gone. The guy was pathetic. It was kind of humorous at the time because he'd be telling you things that weren't so while it was happening right behind him on the screen. We have a whole nation full of Baghdad bobs. And so you got to cut the, so you have to cut and run from those people. You can't be influenced by them. There's way too much at stake. Now, one of the reasons Russia is holding off of 
doing their retaliation they keep threatening to do is because Russia knows very well that they're only going to get one chance. If they do it right, they might survive as a country. Not saying their people are going to survive, but there might be enough of their people survive to still have a country. But they only have one chance to do that, and that's why they're holding back. They want to make sure the time is right, and the opportunity is there for, at least on paper as far as percentage-wise, where they have a better chance of succeeding. The same goes for you. You're only going to get one chance at survival. One chance. And if you're listening to people that are naysaying you and ridiculing you and trying to bring you down, that is going to really hurt your chances. So as far as communication, you need to cut off all the people, and you need to tell them why. You need to say, you know, this is what's going on in the world. You don't want to believe it? That's fine. Go ahead and stick your head in the sand and pretend it's not going to happen. But I'm not going to join you. See you later. And then you need to cut and run. And as far as cell phones, if cell phones are still functioning, I definitely would not use a smartphone. You can be tracked and traced so easy with a smartphone. Not only the phone company, but the government. Not only our government, but an enemy government, any government. You have corporations that know how to break in and do all sorts of things and spy on you. And let's not forget that the corporations are in this up to their eyeballs. That's why I don't join any of these buyer's clubs or have a loyalty card or anything like that. Because I don't want the corporation to know what I'm buying and when I'm buying it and how much of it I'm buying. It's none of their business. And all they're going to do is sell that information or use that information to target advertise at me. And I don't have time for that. So I just say, no, thank you. And I pay for my item with cash and I walk out of the store. I think everyone needs to think about doing that. But I would not use a smartphone. I would use a flip phone. I know that you'd be ridiculed. Oh, look at that antique flip phone. Ha, ha, ha. You have to understand that that's part of the psychological operation is to shame people and to belittle them for being frugal and for being realistic and for being cautious and careful. Right now, this world is being driven by shaming and ridiculing and bullying. And and if you're using a cell phone to send a text or to call someone or maybe snap a picture now and then, there's nothing wrong with a flip phone. You can do all those things and much more. But I would get one of these pay-as-you-go phones and not get any contract and, and have a phone that's considered a burn phone. A phone that when you call somebody, the number goes out and I'm sure they can trace the location of where the call comes from, but they won't have any idea who it is as far as anyone that's tracking cell phones. About all they could do is find that a cell phone was used They might get the number, but they won't associate a face and a name with a number. And I really think that we cannot trust anyone from any government right now. I hate to say that. I know I sound paranoid, but I don't know. After seeing everything I've seen the last really four or five years or longer, it's really made me a believer in being a skeptic, that's for sure. But you can use your flip phone as kind of an electronic Swiss army knife to kind of give an analogy, because it has a calculator and other things on it that you can use, and you can use it as a light, just any little thing. 
but I wouldn't have a smartphone for any reason. Now, I know that most people listening do have a smartphone, and I'm not trying to ridicule you, and I'm not trying to say that you're wrong. I'm just saying, no thanks. Not me. Not for me at all. And I think it's a good time to set up lines of communication now. As far as checking in with someone every week at a certain time, let's say Friday at noon, you're going to call Aunt Bessie. And so everyone knows that if there's a system in place, that everything is all right when the calls come through. Now, again, if we lose our cell service, there's not going to be any call to Aunt Bessie or anybody else. So it might be really good for you to get in the habit of sending physical letters, you know, putting them in a mailbox, that old-fashioned thing that people used to do. Now, if we have an EMP attack, it's going to shut down the post office, and there are going to be things that are going to happen. But I would suspect that the post office would likely have a contingency plan that if they do lose the Internet and other capabilities, that they have a system, hopefully, in place that that within a short period of time, like a week or two, they can at least get things moving again. But everyone that you plan to stay in contact with, you need to really talk to them now and tell them your concerns about losing communications. And one thing that could be done, and I've looked into this for my family, it's just I can't afford it. But if I would have my family members that live out of state become ham operators, and I became a ham operator, we would be able to stay in contact through ham radio. Because depending on how your system is set up and the power and everything that you're using as far as the gear, you can talk for long distances. And also there's ways to have your signal repeated. And that also helps increase the range. And let's not forget satellite communication as well. Even though I do believe the satellites are going to be among the first things to go. And when it comes to storing things, I know I'm going to sound like a very old man here, but I have to tell you that I really do believe that you need to get some analog gear, pre-digital, as in cassette equipment. I have some equipment in my studio that's very early digital equipment that you actually would save your programs onto an actual cassette. Then you'd have to load the program back into your computer before you could use it again. And it took forever to do. And sometimes it would have an error and you'd have to start again. So there were glitches in that type of a system. But these cassettes are almost indestructible. You can take a cassette and drop it from a 10-story building. And maybe even the cassette will crack. But the tape inside it will be fine. And so you can transfer that tape into another cartridge. Or else you can fix the broken cartridge pretty easy with some super glue or something. So what I'm saying is you need to have some things that are a little more rugged, a little more dependable. And the reason I'm bringing up cassettes is lots of people store lots of things on their computer. They store their thoughts. They store their emails. They store all sorts of things so they can access that later. And let's not forget that since people are using the smartphones, that people's attention spans have got very short. And people don't have memories like they used to. Because people have this crutch in their pocket, and they rely on this crutch. Well, if you're one of those people that have to store a lot of information, and all the digital things are out, then the best thing you can do is dictate into a cassette and save it that way. Everything has to be done real-time, and that is time-consuming, and also searching for things. You have to physically listen to it, and 
hit fast forward or rewind. I know all the problems with that as far as being fast, but we're not talking about a contest of how fast we can do something. We're talking about storing information. Now, of course, I would have memory sticks and also exterior hard drives and things like that stuck away in a Faraday cage, as well as a couple laptops that you can access this information. And that's another way you can keep storing all of your vital information. But I do know that when this EMP attack does happen, it's going to happen when we're least expecting it. Because Russia has vowed that they are going to retaliate for many things that they have not retaliated. You know, they haven't done anything. And so I think that when things calm down and people let their guard down, that's when the strike is going to happen. But if you have things in a Faraday cage and you have the right things in your Faraday cage, and also I would have a small portable cassette deck, and I would put that inside my Faraday cage as well. And since we're talking old technology here, the belt that would run the cassette drive is probably not good anymore because they stretch out or they rot. And while you can use rubber bands, and while you can use rubber bands, you would be best to have a new belt right with your cassette deck and have them right together. That way, if you have to use a cassette deck, you can stick that new belt in and it won't be stretched or anything at all and you'll get a lot of life out of that cassette unit. But if you go ahead and put the belt in now and you don't use it for several years or several months, well, that belt will start stretching a little bit. And so that's one thing I would not fix until you had to use it, and that's putting a new belt on a cassette deck. You might say, well, where am I going to find a cassette deck? You're going to have to go to old pawn shops and going to have to look online and antique shops. And there's a lot of them out there, and there's a lot of good ones out there. And I know I have several cassette decks in cars because I have a lot of old cars. And also I have a cassette deck in my house. And through the years, I've collected a lot of cassettes music and information cassettes and everything else. I've got tons of cassettes. And when I listen to those cassettes, I enjoy them just as much as when I'm listening to something online or with a CD or with a computer program, because we've been brainwashed that everything old is bad. And that's just ridiculous. All a cassette is, is an alternative way of storing information. That's all it is. And since it's not digital and it's something that can't be hacked into, and also, all the information that you would store on a cassette would be very safe. Because chances are, even if someone was looking for information, if you had some cassettes and label them grandma's nursery rhymes or something and set them aside, I doubt if anyone would ever listen to them. And that would be the most secure way that you could store information. Now, I know most people won't do that, but you do need to have that in the back of your mind, that that technology does exist and it does work. On the second half of the show, I'm going to be talking all about alternative transportation. And so after this, I'll get started on that topic. I really need to know who's listening and where you're listening from, whether it's by shortwave or podcast or on AM or FM radio. Even if you just pop me an email and say hi, I would appreciate it. And as always, I invite listeners, give me some suggestions of topics that they'd like to hear me cover. I would really appreciate that. Once again, my email address is jim at offgridliving.faith. Please visit the website 
and the website is offgridliving.faith. And also, you can find links to even more information. Every one of my shows is uploaded on the website. If you enjoy the Living Off-Grid Powered Information Show, I would ask that you consider donating to the show to help cover expenses because we don't get paid here. This is all done by donations. And we do not take anything online as far as PayPal or any of that because of all the censorship. Not that they have shut us off. It's just I'm not going to give them the opportunity. So we're going to do it the old-fashioned way by mail, check, money order, or if you want to put cash in a secure envelope, we would appreciate any donation, any size. Just send all your correspondence to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143. That's Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska, 69143, and your support is greatly appreciated. This next song was recorded in 1902 by the Edison Military Band. America, played by the Edison Military Band. Replace fear with faith. Replace pessimism with hope. Replace despair with determination. And don't be afraid to rely on God and step out on the sea. Dinosaur Media here. Welcome back to the second half of the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. This is Jim Calhoun, and I really appreciate you tuning in today. Well, the first half of the show, I talked all about alternative ways to store different information and communicate. And I know there's other ways out there, so 
If you have a good idea, send me an email at jim at offgridliving.faith, and I will be glad to pass that information on to my listeners. But this half of the show, I'm going to talk about alternative transportation. Now, I have my alternative transportation really well covered because of the age of a lot of my vehicles. You can say that almost every vehicle I have is a doomsday vehicle because I've only got one automobile that takes electronic ignition. It doesn't have a computer, but does have electronic ignition. Everything else I have is the old-fashioned points and condenser to where you got to service your points once in a while and take a point file and shine them up once in a while and keep everything going. That's back in the day when you said you were going to tune up your car. That meant that you were going to shine up your rotor and the contacts inside your cap and put in new points, a condenser, and spark plugs and check your spark plug wires. That was pretty much a tune-up back in the day. And all the modern cars that rely on GPS and also rely on all sorts of things that have to do with computer just to operate, I think that those vehicles are going to be in trouble. And so if you don't have a doomsday vehicle, I think that you need to really consider buying an older car pre-1980, something that runs, something that is fairly dependable, but most important, something that's easy to fix and parts are still available for. Because if you can't get the parts, you can't fix it. Now, I just finished an interesting alternative type of a transportation that I really enjoy. And so I'm going to start off with something very simple. is putting an electric motor or a gasoline-powered motor on a regular bicycle. I know more people are doing that, and it's quite a fun hobby for lots of people. Well, I decided to get a two-cycle gasoline engine and put it on my old bicycle because I harvest hay. And in between the fields is sometimes five or ten miles between fields. And I was hauling a bicycle with me as transportation to ride back to the field I just got done with. And after working hard all day in a 100-degree heat, riding a bicycle ten miles just wasn't going to cut it this year. So I started looking into ways that I could put transportation and still haul it on the side of my tractor while I'm moving my tractors, but yet I wouldn't have to physically pedal it to make it work. And so I really researched out these gasoline-powered bicycles, and I'll tell you some more details here in a minute. But I want to tell you right now that I'm on day number four with my gasoline-powered bike, and I think it's the best investment I've ever done. Now, my bicycle happens to be a 1957, yeah, everything I have is old, a 1957 Schwinn Spitfire. And it was somebody's Christmas present, I believe, in 1957 because it still has a license tag on it from 1958 that says Omaha on it. And Omaha is about 400 miles away from me, and so that bike has migrated west a little bit. But I've had the bike for probably 25 years, maybe 30 years. And I enjoyed pedaling it around, and and I used it kind of as a utility bike. But the old bikes have fenders, and I think that's very important. Now, the 10 speeds and the racing bikes and a lot of mountain bikes don't have fenders. And without fenders, these bikes are pretty much just transportation. But with my bike, with fenders, I was able to put accessories on it from the 1950s. And one is a small luggage rack that fit over the rear fender. And then I put a wire basket on the front handlebars. 
And of course, everyone used to think that having a basket on your bike was for a girl, which is ridiculous. But I decided to give my bike a good workout the last couple of days, and I had to ride it about 12 miles to go get some parts and do some things, and it did really well. Plus, it's getting around 100 miles to the gallon, the way I'm figuring it right now. But in that basket, I could put an automotive starter. I had to take a starter in to get it fixed into a rebuilder. And then I did some garden shopping and got some more seeds. And I didn't have a chance to start my own tomatoes this year. So I went to a very good garden supply store and got some heirloom type tomatoes. Well, I was riding a bicycle, but that rear deck came in handy because it would hold a pretty good sized box. And I put the box in back. I strapped the box down with bungee cords and put the tomato plants in the box. I was tooling all over town getting all of my work done, and everything worked fine. And so I think I'm going to do that more often. Because money-wise, not counting the tires, all of my expenses as far as the motor and the rest of the kit, I bought it on sale for $117. Now I've used it for four days. And two of those days were just play around to see what I had. And two were work days. And I was able to get jobs done with that bike that would have taken me three gallons worth of gas with what I normally drive to do what I did. And I did all of that running around instead of three gallons of gas. I did it with maybe a pint or a pint and a half of gasoline. And so I figured this bike's already paid me back about six dollars. And so it won't take very long to pay for that $117, that's for sure. But I did put new tires on my bike and did a few things to make it a little safer. But I do believe you need to look into putting a motor on your bicycle. Now, I would not recommend a 1957 Schwinn because nothing modern fits a 1957 Schwinn. I had to make an awful lot of engine mounting parts. I had to do a lot of head scratching to put everything on and make everything work and make it function as I needed to. And I even had to take the crank pedals off the bike and readjust the travel of that crank pedal so it would clear the engine. So I would stay with a modern bike like a mountain bike, something that has a modern V-frame. That's very important. But don't go buy one of these real cheap bikes from a box store because you're putting power onto this bicycle. That's one thing I love about this old Schwinn is the the metal in it is very good. And there's nothing weak about this bike. This bike is extra heavy. It's heavy built. It's rugged. And it'll take whatever this little engine will dish out to it. But I have seen videos with cheap bikes to where the frame can't handle that extra torque and that extra speed. And you might hit a bump or a pothole or something. And I've seen the front end of these bikes break. And so you want to have a very solid, sturdy bike. That's number one. Number two, don't go out and buy the cheapest motor you can find. You can find one for $70 or $80, the whole kit. But you're going to be getting a watered-down kit that will work, but the mounting bolts will be small, everything will be undersized, and the hardware that comes with these kits is incredibly cheap. Now, it does function and functions fine, but it is incredibly cheap. And the less money you spend, the cheaper the parts you're going to get. And so if you upgrade your motorized bicycle kit from $80 to $120, that extra $40 you're going to spend 
will make a huge difference in the quality of what you're getting. And if you spend another $40 and go for like $150 to $170 kit, then you're going to be right in the ballpark of having something that's going to be rugged and it's going to last for a long time and it's going to have a better spark plug wire and everything it takes to create the spark. All your ignition parts are going to be better. Possibly your carburetor will be a little bit better. But there are companies that are selling bike kits for $200 or $300. But as far as I'm concerned, I might be wrong here. And if I am, I apologize because I don't want to spread any misinformation. But it seemed to me that these companies were buying these $120 to $150 engines. And they were sticking their sticker on it. And they'd give it a cool name and maybe a cool logo. And then make a sticker and put it on the engine. And it seemed that that was the only difference, is that the no-name engines with no logo are just being bought up by these companies who are putting their logo on it. Now, I'm not sure about that, but that's what it seemed to me. And the kit that I bought was on sale for 117 It was normally 150 And it has the heavier mounting bolts, and I think that's very important. It had the upgraded ignition, and it had a really nice upgraded chrome muffler. It took me two weeks in my spare time just piddling around with it and putting it together. But if you have a bike that this motor will actually fit instead of having to fabricate mounts and everything like I did, about three hours you can be riding your bike if you're mechanically inclined. If you're not mechanically inclined, you'll probably go nuts trying to build one of these things. And so if you're mechanically inclined, I would look into these motorized bikes. If you're not, I would probably stay away from them. Because there are tweaks and adjustments you have to make from time to time due to vibration and things, road use, bumps. Things get knocked out of adjustment or loosened. But I wish I would have done this years ago because I'm having a lot of fun. And also I can see that it's going to help me immensely. I had to move a tractor today, had to move it seven miles. But the tractor was seven miles away from my house, so I had to go get the tractor. And the tractor was up in the sand hills, and so I had to climb hills with my bike, which I was worried about, because I have a couple of hills that are pretty steep. And I know that when I'm pedaling a bike, I don't even attempt to try to go up these hills. I just walk up the hills. And even when my tractors are going up these hills, they struggle. And since I had these hills in mind, I went and got a 44-tooth sprocket to put on the rear wheel. Now, I could go faster if I had like a 38 or a 36 or 32 tooth sprocket. I'd go faster, but I'd lose some torque. And I thought that 44 was a good compromise between speed and torque. And I researched that for an entire evening, watching videos and reading comments of people that had a different arrangement as far as how many teeth they had. And I'm really glad I settled on this 44 tooth because I'm going about 32 miles an hour which is plenty fast enough on an antique bicycle. And when I came to these hills, the motor barely struggled at all. I was absolutely shocked that I was able to go up the steepest hill with absolutely no hint of that bike bogging down or trying to stall or anything, so I was really happy about that. Now yesterday I built a little pickup box that I'm going to put on the rack that's over my back tire. And then I'm going to make a cargo net that will go over the little pickup box. And I'm going to carry a tire pump and tire changing tools 
a tube patching kit, and also a brand new tube inside my little box because I'm out in some pretty rough country riding this bike. And since I bought this for a business, it has to perform. And also, and also this bike is going to have a tool kit in the basket. So if I'm changing tractors between fields and I have a problem with the tractor and the tractor doesn't have that tool in its toolbox, chances are I'll have it with me on the bicycle. And so if you do decide to get a motorized bike or make one out of a kit, I would highly recommend getting a bike that's a single speed, getting a bike that has front fenders and rear fenders. That way you have some options, some things you can do to to make the bicycle a lot more useful. Well, enough about motorized bikes. You can see that I really like mine, and, and I've made that point abundantly clear. Now, getting back to your doomsday vehicle, I would have a special Faraday cage, again, and you can use just two sizes of metal trash cans. Make sure that both trash cans are 100% metal, including the lid, and make sure to insulate between the two cans. But I would have for my doomsday vehicle, as far as parts, I'd have at least two condensers and two sets of points, and I'd have spark plugs and spark plug wires, a rotor, and a cap. And also I would get a General Motors type one wire alternator and I would put that in there too. That way if we do have an attack and we do have some things fried and your doomsday vehicle has some components that get fried, you have two sets inside your Faraday cage. And the reason I say two sets is that I would imagine that if we get one EMP attack We'll probably get another. Plus, if there are nukes going off in our atmosphere or near the ground that are anywhere close to us, we'll probably get several times we'll probably get hit. And if we do suffer an EMP attack and things really do go bad, I want you to remember what I'm going to tell you right here. This is going to be a really big pain, but it will pay dividends. If we have an EMP attack, or if you are worried about an EMP attack, simply remove your distributor and also your starter, your alternator or generator, your voltage regulator, everything that has to do with your ignition. And of course, if you have electronic ignition, that would still work as long as it's not computerized too much and it's in a Faraday cage. But if you would take those off your doomsday vehicle and put those in the Faraday cage, then if we get hit, your doomsday vehicle might lose some taillights and headlight wires or something, but it'll still function. And then every time you use that vehicle, reinstall those parts. When you're done using it, take those parts back off and put it back in a Faraday cage. Like I say, that would really be a pain. It would probably take over an hour to do all the swapping you need to do. But I have to tell you that if you're fighting for your life and you need to have something you can depend on and also peace of mind, knowing that your vehicle is going to operate, it's going to be functional, well, that's worth that hour or two that you would spend disassembling and assembling your vehicle again. Now, I know that that's extreme, but I am talking about extreme times. And so we have to think outside the box. We really, really do. 
And I think the perfect doomsday vehicle has to be able to haul all of your family, has to be able to haul some food and your pets and anything that you really need to take with you. But if we do get hit and we do have all these things that are horrible happening all over the world, the last place you want to be is out on the road. That's the last place you want to be. And also your doomsday vehicle if it's out running around and you're the only person in the neighborhood running around, everyone's going to know that you have that. And you're probably going to get a knock on your door, or worse yet, they'll bust your door down and they'll demand your vehicle, or worse. And so even if you have a doomsday vehicle, don't use it unless you absolutely have to. I really hate having this paranoid type of an attitude, but with this world, we don't know who's watching. We don't know if there's any Black Lives Matter type or Antifa type. We don't know if any of our neighbors or anyone in our community is a Satanist or someone that is an opportunist that will try to come and take your food or take your vehicle. Or You just don't know. You might be asking, what's the use of having a doomsday vehicle if I never use it? Well, hopefully you don't ever have to use it. But if you have to, it has to function. It has to work. And I would tell nobody that it was a doomsday vehicle. And if you could keep it stored away in a garage or underneath a cover, that would be best. And a little side note, going back to this disassembling and taking some of the parts off your car. If we do have people marauding and they're looking for vehicles that they can get going, and you have to understand that these people that are going to go out ransacking, once they're done ransacking an area, they're like locusts. They're going to need to move to the next area. And for them to get to the next area, they're going to need some wheels. And if you have a doomsday vehicle and they recognize that, that it is of the model year, that that's what they're looking for, but they discover it has no starter and no generator or alternator and no ignition, they're going to just walk away from it. They're going to open the hood and go, nah, this thing's junk. It doesn't work. So you have to keep that in the back of your head. Now, the big question is, do I think this is going to happen? I'm not sure. Some days I think, yes, definitely. Definitely we are going to have these horrible things happen. The next day I think, well, maybe not. Probably, but maybe not. Now, there's no scenario in my mind where I say, no, it's not going to happen. But I go from definitely sure to kind of a qualified maybe. And it's always definite sure when I think about how evil mankind is right now and how evil our governments are and how Satan is just rampaging all over the earth. Then I think, well, yes, it's going to happen. But if I think, well, mankind can't be that bad, there's got to be someone that's going to step in and put an end to this madness. There's got to be someone. Of course, there is that someone that can do that and claim to be our Savior that's going to be the Antichrist. So we really have to watch out for that as well. But I have to go back to one of my old sayings, better safe than sorry. And so I would do everything in my power to be as safe as I can. And going back to not being on the road in a crisis, unless you have to, if you're in an area that you don't know, it's very hard to put up a defensive line to defend you and your family if you're not familiar with where you're at. 
And so your home needs to be your line of defense. And in my research, I'm noticing that it's now something that people are doing for fun, which I think that they're going to end up getting shot, is that young boys, primarily young boys, I'm talking about 16 to 18 in that range, I guess I should call them young men, are walking into people's homes unannounced with their cell phones on recording. They just walk in and walk around and record everything and walk back out. Now, I don't know if they're going to use that information that they record for going back and stealing things from the house or what they're doing, but you really need to be on guard for this new fad. And you know what's coming. You know that there's going to be someone walk into the wrong house and they're going to get a bullet right between the eyes. That's what's going to happen. But make sure that you can lock your doors securely. Make sure your home is defended. And most of you already know all of that. But really with the timeline that I see everything happening is that time is short. And I think that we're almost in an operational stage of where we are going to have to physically, mentally, and spiritually do things that we normally wouldn't have to do because we're going to be forced into it. I just want my listeners to know that as long as you can send me a letter by mail or get a hold of me with an email, I'm here for you to answer any questions. I'm happy to do that because the only reason I'm broadcasting is I'm trying to help. That's it. That's the only reason. And quite a few people are taking advantage of that, and I really do appreciate it. And I appreciate all who communicate with me by regular mail and email. I appreciate it. I'd also like to ask for you to consider donating to this program because the only way I'm able to get this information out and do this program is through your generous donations. And I take checks, money orders, and cash. And you would write the check out to Thunderbolt West Media. You would mail to Thunderbolt West Media, P.O. Box 163, P.O. Box 163, Hershey, Nebraska. And the zip code is 69143. And every donation is very much appreciated. And I do appreciate you tuning in today. And until next time, everyone, really consider what I'm saying. Get alternative ways to communicate and also alternative transportation. Be brave. Stay strong. But most important of all, replace fear with faith. This is Jim Calhoun with the Living Off Grid Power and Information Show. The song Step Out on the Sea is performed by Brit Small and Festival. Thank you for listening to Thunderbolt West Media.